Hello, and welcome to the fifth episode of Multiscale Musings, a podcast from the HETSIS CBT at the University of Warwick. I am your host, Chris Woodgate. This week, my co-host is Idil Ismail. Idil is a HETSIS PhD student based in the chemistry department. Her research broadly focuses on developing new simulation tools to address the challenge of catalyst design. This week, our interviewee is Dr. Livia Bartok-Partey, also from the chemistry department at the University of Warwick. Livia studied for her PhD at Erdbusch-Lorand University before holding fellowships at Cambridge and Reading. She moved to Warwick in 2019. Her research focuses on modelling chemical systems at the atomistic level, predicting structure and phase transitions, and the development of novel computational techniques for doing so. Okay. Hello, Livia. Hello, Idil. Hi. So, Livia, first question then. Uh, What is it that you do when you're not doing science? How do you relax and what are your hobbies? Oh, okay. So, in the last couple of years, we have two small kids. So, spare time is... um, wasn't wasn't plenty but um uh, i love all kinds of diy stuff i really enjoy making whatever from baking and sewing and uh recently we took up painting with my with our daughter but that can be anything i like like working around the house gardening laying tiles and we were refurbishing the bathroom so any kind of stuff that sounds that's very interesting. I, I can imagine that's quite good during this covid period as well Oh yeah, mm. yeah. It's uh, especially now with the quarantine and, and the lockdown, <clears throat> uh, working around the kids and finding time for everything. It's uh, it's been it's been a challenge for a couple of days, but finding uh, an hour or two every now and then to do something else, it's uh, it's really nice. Oh, fair enough. And uh, do 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 you read much? Do you have any sort of favorite books or anything that you like to sort of yeah? listen to or watch um we don't have a tv <laughs> so okay. we don't, we don't watch many things i love reading um it's difficult to, to choose a favorite book um i really like crime stories and history books especially about 20th century there's a couple of female hungarian writers i really like you know, just present the, the life of of uh, people in the second half of the 20th century in Hungary. And uh, I think most recently something that really enjoyed was uh, Kurt Vonnegut's uh, Cat's Cradle. Okay. I mean, that was a, that was a really, really amazing experience. <laughs> oh, cool. So, so do you, do you read predominantly in, in Hungarian then? Is that, is that what you, how you choose to get your literature or? Not necessarily. When, when, whenever we go home, we bring a couple of Hungarian books with ourselves. Then I read those, but otherwise I read the English. Ah, oh, fair enough. Uh, okay then. So, 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 so maybe uh, kind of moving a little bit on towards uh, towards the science side of things. Um, do you have a, a favourite scientific fact or, or phenomenon that, that 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 you that you really think is just just cool and exciting? Oh, that's difficult again to, to pinpoint. Um, I think something that really amazed me, it's not related to chemistry. I really love number theory. I'm, I find, especially prime numbers, I find amazing. I love to read about this kind of 
seemingly simple mathematical stuff. Oh. Ah, cool. Yeah, yeah. Well, I have a quick question for you then. Um, so who's your scientific inspiration? So this can be anyone who's living or dead. Someone that you've looked up to growing up, perhaps. Uh, I think... Uh, I really found amazing the life and work of Dorothy Hodgkin. Yes. There's, a, there's, a, there's an excellent biography book written about her life and work, and I really find amazing, not just as a female scientist working in the, in the 20th century and, and, uh, and gaining and getting a Nobel Prize in the end, but how she was able to kind of manage super scientific work together with family life and, and, and other interests at the same time, I'm completely amazed and it's fantastic. Yeah, that's quite, yeah, that's a good one. That's quite fitting as well, because uh, you yourself were at some point a Dorothy Hodgkin fellow, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. yeah. Okay, then. So so maybe maybe something a little bit more topical. I mean, I, I, to some extent, I'm 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 sort of sick of talking about it, but you know, I think it's good to get a feeling for how people are coping. So, so has has the current situation, has the pandemic affected your research much, or are you able to work from home effectively? I think as a computational ca- chemist, we're really in a lucky position. I can basically continue as I was in the office, no change except just finding the time and 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 uh, and, and space at home to. Uh, to be able to concentrate for hours on end, that's 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 challenging. But otherwise, I can happily continue whatever I was doing before the lockdown. So this bit isn't a isn't a real challenge from this point of view. Yeah, fair enough. And it's so, lovely, it's lovely to be home. We spend so much time with the children, not commuting. <laughs> but I think now, after about ten or eleven weeks, I think we all now really long to have human <laughs> contact and conversation with others as well. Yeah, I think that's very true. Yeah. OK, so 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 when when you're at university, obviously you, you joined Warwick fairly recently. Are you involved with any um, teaching, you know, to, to, to the undergraduates at all? Um, yes, from October, I got involved straight away uh, with the fourth year module together with Gabriela Sosa and Reinhard Maurer. I became the model leader for the uh, advanced computational chemistry course. Uh, okay. And um, obviously I was doing some first year tutorials. And in the last couple of weeks, we've been doing again together with Gabriela um, the third year computational practical module uh, for a couple mm-hmm. of weeks. And from next year, I'm going to take over first year thermodynamics for the undergraduates. Ah, cool. Fair enough. What's, what sort of stuff do you teach in an advanced computational chemistry course? Are you all about parallel computing or is it more kind of using particular bits of software and so on? Um, there's some. Um, so we, we, we divided the, the module between the three of us and, and teach uh, stuff which is related to our research. So um, I teach a bit of background and theory about potential energy surfaces and modeling phase transitions in general and a couple of techniques with uh, with recent scientific results that are relevant uh, with these uh, uh, with these methods okay yeah fair enough no that sounds very interesting i, I only asked because you know it's it's quite a broad you know 
the title of the module might not make it <laughs> exactly clear what sort of stuff you teach. <laughs> Do you use more to, to uh, Python in, in these modules? Is that the primary coding language that you use? Um, I think, by, personally, my research, yes, I'm shifting towards Python from Fortran. Um, but we use Python in the... So we, during the during this uh, in this module we have three computational workshop and we use Python uh, to have some practical hands-on experience with some of the techniques we've been uh, teaching about in the previous weeks. So for that we use Python. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sounds good. Yeah. Fair enough. Okay. So so may, maybe let's move on a little bit and and, and talk uh, about science and, and your research specifically. So for you then, quite a broad question. Um, why, why, why did you choose theory? Why computational science? What sort of drew you to that side of the field? <laughs> um, I would say that was quite by chance. Um, okay. So when I was doing my undergraduate degree in Hungary, the, the, the whole university system was a bit different. So we didn't have this BSc, MSc separately. The, the chemist course was five years ending in an MSc. Um, and originally, I did some extra advanced laboratory practices in, in analytical chemistry and, and organ chemistry. So it was really looking like it's going to end in that way. Um, but then the, uh, the undergraduates were really, really encouraged to take up some kind of undergraduate research projects, uh, just like the summer projects are here in Warwick. But that was completely informal. So students were encouraged to to join a research group and do whatever they feel like doing and commit whatever time they uh, they can. So at the end of the third year, I joined the research group uh, who did molecular dynamic simulations of mostly liquid systems, liquid interfaces, and I just got totally hooked. <laughs> so so stayed on and and haven't been in a lab since then. <laughs> oh, fair enough. Okay, so so you say you do molecular dynamics. What sort of um, what, what what kind of software are you running, and what sort of hardware do you use? Okay, so um, for the computations, that's almost always exclusively a Linux cluster. I think the standard uh, everyone in, in computational theoretical work uses either small clusters locally at the at the department or at the university or at the large national facilities. Um, in terms of personal computer, I use a I use a Mac laptop. Uh, That's not everyone. <laughs> yeah, I, f I find it very handy uh, and easy to use. Everything is is on hand what I need in my daily research. Um, I haven't touched a Windows computer for a while, and I'd like to stay that way. Um, <laughs> I think that's quite common among computational chemists. <laughs> Uh, in terms of software, that's, co that's constantly changing. So I used an in-house software as an undergraduate and moved on using Gromax, LAMPS, now using my own software as well. So a lot of different things. Sometimes it's fun to learn new codes, uh, but it also takes, uh, takes a lot of time and effort. So I think most computational chemists has a kind of their favorite tool set. Uh, they prefer to use because they are familiar with that. They have all their codes and analysis to set up 
be the given thing and sometimes it can be challenging to switch to new things though currently i'm <laughs> i'm just doing that uh there's a recently developed uh, molecular dynamics and monte carlo code the umd and i'm learning to use that and uh, connect my own my own codes to that so that's what i've been doing in the last couple of weeks actually okay yeah yeah N- necessary but i imagine a bit of a drag sometimes yes it is <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, so, so when when you're doing research, do you have any kind of um collaboration with 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 experiment experimentalists or with industry? Um not with industry at the moment. Um I've been working with uh with experimentalists relating to uh a project I've been working on for many, many years relating to uh to studying a structure at at interfaces, uh, mainly at the interface between between the liquid and and, and the gas phase. Uh, in terms of the other area, I'm working on um, phase transitions and things like that. I think that's more uh, more on the theoretical side. And in the long term, I'd really like to to join back and uh, and work with and collaborate with with experimentalists, but so far, it was really at the stage where it's, uh, where it's purely computational and it wouldn't be very trivial to, to find immediate connections with, uh, with experimental results. Yeah. 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 I, 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 yeah, I can, I can appreciate that. Okay. So, so, so before we, before we started recording, you were talking about how you enjoyed kind of the research atmosphere at Warwick because you, you could talk to people from, from such a broad, broad spectrum of, of research areas. Do, do you find that? Do you find that really useful for your research as well? Do you kind of like like talking to people and getting you know different ideas coming in and and things like that? Oh yes, absolutely. I think this is really in the heart of research, being able to to talk other people. And uh, what I think is very important to be able to to discuss also initial ideas with with others. So I'm really not the type who has an idea and starts to guard it. In case when someone steals it or something like that, I really, I really, I really like to to go ahead and and discuss it with others because gaining uh, their uh, their influence early on, I think it's very, very valuable and adds to the to the final outcome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I completely agree. Okay, so so maybe let's let, let's move along a little bit and talk about your research specifically. So uh, I'm going to give you a tough sort of open ended question. Uh, can you sum up for our listeners what your research is? What is it that you 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 do and you look to achieve? In, you know, maybe a few sentences. <laughs> OK, so I think in the last couple of years, there were two main directions I've been working on. One is using well established uh, computational techniques and models to, to study the interfacial properties uh, of between liquids and and gas phase. Uh, here, the main question is that if you have an interface, uh, the molecules and the atoms behave quite differently than in the uh, than in the bulk. And this is something that is very difficult to uh, to study experimentally because obviously this is in one hand this is a liquid phase, so it's dynamically changing, and on the other ha- other other sense on the on the other hand. Uh, the interfacial region is is often very very thin 
and not very well defined. So this is an area where computational and experimental work can really help each other. So this is this is one direction I've been I've been working on. The other one is uh, more related to method development and and theoretical work. Um, in the last decade, I was heavily involved in developing a technique uh, to study the potential energy landscape of different materials. So trying to find out what are the uh, those configurations and those atomic arrangements that are most relevant. Uh, in, a, in a material under given conditions. Uh, this is also important to kind of learn how different materials behave if you change the temperature and pressure and be able to predict uh, what kind of structural or thermodynamic properties we can find. On the other hand, this can be also used as a tool to learn about how the models that we employ on a daily basis in computational chemistry uh, how they actually behave, what can we learn about them, how we can improve their performance. Okay. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, very interesting. So so are there any any problems in particular you're working on at the moment? I mean you, you say you're obviously learning this new code, but what you know, any kind of recent publications where where you worked on a particular problem? Oh yeah. Um there's something currently I'm working on which is um in one hand, it proves much more challenging than I expected at the beginning. And this is the, the nice thing about research, that sometimes you have a scientific question and you think that you'll be able to answer it. And every step of this journey, you learn something and just have two or three more questions you haven't even appreciated at the beginning. So um, I became interested in, in a very, very simple toy, toy model uh, which is able to reproduce liquid-liquid phase transitions. So this is something that has been uh, the focus of research in case of water for for decades now. What is the, the underlying cause of the anomalous behavior of water? Why we have a density maximum? Why we have so many special properties of uh, of water? And it's and it's um, it has been suggested that the reason behind this is that uh, water has more than one liquid phases, just one is metastable. And obviously this is very difficult to, to prove experimentally because it seems that uh, this other liquid phase is in the so-called no man's land, which is not uh, not available directly. Um, but this model, this toy, toy model can actually reproduce that and, and have a stable liquid-liquid transition. So I've been studying that for the last uh, couple of months, but it's very interesting that all sorts of completely unexpected structures end up, and it seems that the behavior is just much more complicated than anyone uh, anyone um, um, knew before or found before. And uh, this is something that is really puzzling at the moment. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. I think I think water is kind of this incredible system, isn't it? People people have been studying it for well centuries arguably and we still uh we still we still haven't cracked certain aspects of uh of the problem yeah yeah, yeah and especially the water seems so simple that one would think that oh we should know everything about water but actually no <laughs> yeah 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 wow right so i have a i have another question for you so we know that you have a bit of experience with working with sort of software packages so pymatness right 
So we're wondering if you could tell us a little bit about your involvement and experience in developing this software package for nested sampling. Um, okay, so the um, oh, where should I start? So the original code I started writing uh, many many years ago. Then different people in the group jumped in and it evolved completely. And the basis of the PyMathNet software was written by Noam Bernstein from the US. Uh, and it it helps the nested sampling uh, code to work with uh, with other software packages, which is widely available and, and, and widely used in the in the materials uh, modeling community uh, to make it easier for others to use for whatever problem they have. Uh, it's a Python code. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was partly the reason I also started using Python a couple of years ago. Originally, I've been coding in Fortran mainly. Yeah. Um, so this is uh, this is an ongoing project. I'm, there's bits and pieces we regularly add as the as both as the theory evolves and the, as the um, range of materials we are studying widen so we need new functionality every now and then and we introduce that regularly yeah yeah that's always the way isn't it you have a code and it does a certain set of things well and then suddenly someone comes along and says ah but can you use it to do this other thing that i'm interested in and you have to go away and and write another few few thousand lines to to do that (laughs) yeah it can be a challenge especially if if the code gets longer and longer um to keep it in a in a good shape, so it's yeah. not uh, it's not a patchwork, but stays a, as a whole. Uh, that can be challenging, and I think probably this is a point where a software engineer should get involved. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> okay, then. So, 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 so it, it's a code for doing um, for doing kind of nested sampling, right? Yes. Can you explain? Uh, to, to to us what well first of all what, exactly what you mean by sampling and then specifically what you mean by nested sampling okay so uh, it's not that easy to explain without actually showing a picture but I will try my best so <laughs> imagine that you have a bunch of atoms or molecules just let, let's just call them atoms uh, for the sake of simplicity and you, you imagine that you want to arrange them in space. And even if you have just a couple of dozens of atoms, the, the number of ways you can arrange them is enormous. It's mm-hmm. astronomical. And all of these, uh, these arrangements are going to have different, different energy and a different, uh, uh, different weight in the, in, in the landscape. So, Imagine that you have a couple of atoms. If you think that they are in the gas phase, you can kind of uh, picture how they should be arranged and how they should look like, what what corresponds to a liquid or what happens if you have a solid phase. These are packed in a in a regular crystalline structure. But how you can how you can determine under what conditions which of these uh, uh, which of these configurations going to be important? Which one should you take into account? And all of these possible arrangements uh, constitute the, what we call usually the, the phase space or the or the energy landscape. If you take into account their the energy values, and the sampling here means that 
you want to sample these astronomical number of configurations and choose the ones, ones which are representative of certain phases or certain properties. Mm -hmm. Nested is, um, is connected to the algorithm itself. So the, in case of nested sampling, the sampling happens starting from, from the top, so from the, from the high energy region of this, of this phase space and goes towards, uh, the lowest possible energy crystalline phase. And these, uh, this is done through, um, different sampling levels and these are nested within each other. So this is why it's called nested sampling. Okay. No, I think that was very clear. Yeah. No, thank you very much. Okay. So, so you, 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 you were saying, um, about how you perhaps have to somehow sometimes, uh, stick little, you know, edit the code to work on, to work on different materials or different systems. Um, do, do you find that the technique on the whole is very transferable or does the technique itself also need adapting? Um, you know, is, is it just the code or is it actually the, the technique that, that, that needs to be fine tuned? And the technique itself is absolutely transferable. So originally, um, it was proposed as, um, as an algorithm to integrate higher dimensional functions. And actually it has been taken up in very different areas from astrophysics to data analysis and so on. So the, the original nested sampling idea is out there and used in uh, in a lot of different areas within sciences. So the fact that we're using it to sample these atomistic configurations is just one example use of the uh, of the technique. Obviously, it involved a lot of uh, tricks and, and and bits to find out how actually can this can be done and adapted to uh, to the atomistic system. But the technique, uh, the basis or the backbone of the technique is the same. Uh, so the changes to the code involves how to introduce new functionality if you want to take into account like a multi-component system or suddenly you have molecules in, instead of atoms. So the orientation now counts. Uh, if you have a charge system, you have to take that into account. And the really important thing, which is, um, which is in the heart of the method, how you calculate the energy of a given atomic configuration. And this comes to something that is, uh, very important in computational chemistry is how we actually model those interactions between our atoms and particles. And this can be done in a lot of different ways. And whenever this way is changing, that often needs some technical adjustments of the code. Yeah. Okay. No, fair enough. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, right. So I have another question. Um, you've talked about a couple of sort of techniques that you've used now but um over the years i'm starting pretty much from your phd days what modeling techniques have you focused on the most and do you feel like you're most proficient in or rather like um i think these cannot always be completely separated so i started with molecular dynamics and monte carlo but these are still in one way or the other part of an estate sampling as well. Yeah. So uh, in the broader computational se sense, I'm definitely um, um, not a quantum chemical modeler, if that makes sense. So, yeah, I'm, uh, th this is what the area, what is called the classical. Yes. Uh, classical modeling. Has it been ever something that you wanted to go into? Maybe 
switch from MD to QM? Is that something that you've looked into? Um, I'd say not really. <laughs> <laughs> the, there are so many fascinating questions that you can answer with, with molecular dynamics and Monte Carlo kind of code and those kind of models that can be employed with this. Um, I still have dozens of ideas and questions. No, definitely, yes. Uh, a lot of people focus on some of these larger atomistic models. But, uh, yeah. In one hand, it's quite split, so it's, it's quite good. You always have someone to talk to. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair enough. Okay, then. So I, I think we're sort of getting towards the end. But I guess as our, as, as our, as our last question, Idil, I know you wanted to ask... Um, Livia about sort of her, her career and, 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 and things like that. Do you, do you want to ask the final question for us? Yes. So um, you talked a little bit about, I mean, as a chemist, starting from your undergraduate degree, what is it that made you want to leave the lab, the wet lab environment? And so sort of, can you sort of talk us through your career trajectory from your undergraduate days to pretty much now? Um, yeah, sure. So... Oh, so I, yeah, this is this is I'm try, trying to pinpoint the uh, the moment in time when I really left the lab for good. Um, I think partly I don't think that it was intentional in the sense that I didn't want to leave the lab. I just enjoyed computational chemistry so much then that I found it completely um, fulfilling in the sense, you know, as you're doing research, you get into this flow and you reach the point where sometimes you just wake up during the night and oh now I have the idea what should I do with the equation or with the modeling or or this kind of stuff and when you're hooked so much in the research question and you enjoy that you do that because you want to do that then I think nothing else really matters and for me that was with, with with computational work and I I just didn't go back uh, to the lab I think yeah, yeah. Uh, of course I'm in one hand I miss that so probably that's why we as a family lines also all sorts of different hands-on kind of things um, building things at home and experimenting with things probably uh, our, our, our love for for cooking and baking <laughs> kind of substitute with the lost time of lab. Yeah. Um, so kitchen chemistry, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kitchen chemistry. Yeah. 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 No, I asked this question for the broader audience, but perhaps maybe also for myself, because I, I come from a biological background and never really quite realised or quite know why I went into theoretical chemistry. And maybe um, this might be something that others are also interested in in case they want to switch fields and not feel so overwhelmed that perhaps they don't have the undergraduate background in that? Um, I think that switching fields is always an option. Um, I'm, since I'm coming from... So most of, the, most of the theoretical and computational chemists I know from conferences or, or even a lot of people in the department are actually are coming from, from physics background. Yeah. And... As a chemist, sometimes I find that that I am too chemist for them because some of the some of the the physical undergraduate background is probably missing for me because I 
by training, I'm a chemist, not a physicist. But on the other hand, I switched so far away or, sh- or, or, or shifted so far away from original or traditional lab or instruments or chemistry that for the average chemist, I'm not a, a chemist enough, if you know what I mean. Yeah. One time yeah. I'm just finding myself in between two fields, which is absolutely fine. Um, just this is something <laughs> you have to probably keep in mind. No, definitely. But it's, it, I mean, it's always good to have this sort of broad range of skills. Um, I find that with uh, doctoral training programs like the one we're on, you're constantly picking up these new skills. I mean, you're not necessarily having to delve too much into one particular thing, but at least you can have a bit of everything and discuss this with other people as well. And also it gives a different perspective of the actual research you're doing, whether you come from the theoretical side of the of, of a of a particular research question or you're coming from the application side. So what I often found that though I've been working on method development for the last decade, that was really really in the forefront for me to consider what kind of materials I want to study, what kind of uh, questions about these materials can I answer and not necessarily the the details of some of the or the theoretical details of some of the techniques because I'm coming from this chemist background when I'm in at the end of the day I want to learn something about the material. Yeah. Sounds good. Yeah. Uh, No, that was fascinating. Yeah. Well, I think that's us just about out of time. So uh, yeah, thank you, Livia, for that. That was that was really interesting. And thank you, Idil, for coming. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed talking to you. Cheers, guys. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to that discussion with Livia. Next time, we intend to bring you an interview with John Vandermaus, a final year PhD student from Harvard. Until then, bye-bye.